Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hi, Joshua. How you doing? I am doing all right. That was a lovely dear listener you missed out on. Our we had a uh, a carpenters sing along as our uh, sound check today. That was quite lovely. Um, my mother was a big fan of the Carpenters. We had their, um, I think it was like a double album or something of like the greatest hits of the Carpenters, the best of or something. Uh, and we listened to that quite a lot growing up, actually. I sang a lot to them growing up. Uh, I now oh, have nice. some vinyl. Yeah, I have some vinyl copies now. It's nice to put, especially if I miss my mom, it's nice to put on, you know, having those days. Um, we had a lot of rain the other day, so I was singing that rainy days and Mondays around the house. That was fun. Oh, here in here in Southern California with the hailing and the raining and the thunder and lightning. That was exciting for me. Mm hmm. Did you enjoy that? See, I did. See, you sang Rainy Days of Mondays. I sang, um, I think it's the Porner Sisters, Knock on Wood. Oh. <laughs> Thunder and lightning. I would have knock, knock, knock on wood. Okay. Um, I would have thought you would have been singing uh, It's Raining Men. It's Raining Menzies. <laughs> it's Raining Menzies, yes. Hallelujah. <laughs> Yeah, um, that actually so talking about that's it was kind of fun. We you know today we're talking about Blackula. Did you enjoy seeing the Hughes Corporation? You know, rock the boat. I sure did. Uh, I, don't, I was going to start song. this episode. Yeah, they don't. <laughs> they like don't to do know in the film, but that was their really big hit. I was going to work out some of. The, I was looking at the dance moves that they did. I was going to do some for you. I was going to, you know, do a lot of arms. <laughs> Oh, well, yeah, and hips and a lot of hips. Lo yeah, groin of... pumping. It was, yeah, that was some sexy moves right there. Joe, take take note. Take note. Uh, but we'll get to that. We'll get to all of that bumping and grinding and uh, blood sucking uh, later on in the episode. What else? What else has been going on? Are you caught up on Drag Race yet? I am caught up on Drag Race. So yeah. let's talk about it. Um, yeah. What do you think so far? Well, I don't understand why uh, Candy Muse seems to think she's the arbiter of taste. I'm very annoyed. <laughs> she's, like, she's like all up in Joey or whatever. I, I'm still kind of learning their name. Joey J. Um, she's like all up yes. in her like place. Like, oh, you know, she just needs help with her taste level. And then she went out there with like book bags that looked a mess. <laughs> I don't know. I was very, I'm just annoyed with her. Like, you know, cause she's just going around like she's, you know, is like some kind of arbiter of taste and style. And it's like, Ooh, girl, you know, like, didn't they, I think Tamisha was right to, huh? yeah, I think Tamisha was, Tamisha was right to put her in her place. I'd be like, Oh, you know, there are more people who are a threat to you, not just Simone. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty funny. Actually. I really, and it's interesting. I don't, have we ever seen that on drag race where like, um, I know that a lot of times they have histories, like, cause they, you know, a lot of these Queens obviously come up in the same sort of big, um, you know, metropolitan areas where drag, you know, New York and, you know, LA and, you know, places, you know, all over that are like, you know, big drag 
centers. So of course, a lot of them know each other or work with each other, but I don't know, have we ever had like a mother, like, you know, that sort of situation with, um, I thought that was really, uh, kind of cool. And I hope they explore that some more, um, you know, of like, Tamisha, like her influence on, um, Lala. I'm still trying, I'm learning all their names still. Yeah, I. I don't. I'm trying to think in the past where somebody's like been the like the person that first put you in drag was also on the show. I guess there have been, you know, but more sisterly, I guess, not really. It's been more sisterly. It's been more um, the kids or the mothers. Like it's usually the mothers come later, right? Because I feel like. I mean, well, like Alyssa Edwards, right? House of Edwards. And so she came later, even though technically, I think she's, I think she's technically Shangela's drag mom. I think so. Uh, so, so she came much later. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. So it's, it's an interesting season so far. I'm glad that uh, they're starting to eliminate people. Cause oh my gosh, it took four episodes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) um you know so just kind of like how long is this season gonna be um it's already been a year it's been on (laughs) i know uh so who are your like front who, who are you really liking right now um in terms of artistry shardistry as willem would say um i definitely enjoy utica yeah, me too. She's one of my top right now. I really, really like her. Um, I, I'd be curious to see, because she has that very, like, Jinx Monsoon energy. Like, she could go all the way. She's the quirky, fun queen. She also has a very distinct point of view. Yeah, she's and a she's, crystal method as well. Yes, very crystal method as well. Um, Utica. And, I mean, I do love Tina Burner. <laughs> I think Tina Burner is a, is very she's very clear about what her brand is and who she is, but it's also not it's not boring yet. And Michelle hasn't read her for like being all in reds and yellows all the time. Like she changes it up every, uh, enough. Yeah, um, I uh, yeah, I was I felt like we were going to be really exhausted by that. So she's smart the way she you know, approaches that kind of like with Joey and the hair, you know, it's like, I get it. Mm -hmm. Like, that's awesome. That's your thing. Some of the Queens are bald. Some of the Queens like always, you know, have a certain type of hair type of look fine, but like you have to, you know, find ways to change that up because it's just, you know, it's going to get. And then if I had to pick, if I had to pick three more, so that way I just have my top five, I'd say all in all, it'd be Utica, Tina Burner, um, Tamisha, Iman, Gottmik, and just to throw, uh, just to throw someone in there, um, I'm I'm curious to see if Denali will go will go far. Yeah, um, I wonder. She looks so much like Mistress Formica um, from the '90s out of drag. Uh, I don't know if anybody else is knows even what I'm talking about. But if you've seen Wigstock, then you know who Mistress Formica is. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, man, if they were going to do like a documentary film or something on that time, they should hire her to play Mistress Formica. She looks a lot like a lot like him out of drag when he was younger. Um, yeah, I, I think I'd have to agree. I mean, I think those are the obvious choices. I like Simone a lot too. Um, I think she's got a real point of view. So I would probably, 
I'm not going to do top five, but I'd say at least my top three right now would be Utica, Gottmik, and um, Simone. Well, I don't know if I want to put her in my top three, but I really like what she's doing. Um, maybe Tamisha. I really like seeing, I really hope like a classic drag queen kind of goes all the way. You know, I would like to see that. Um, I, I, I don't know if we will, because obviously drag race is always kind of like, you know, re- historically has rewarded like the future of drag or sort of like subgenres of drag. You know, I mean, every now and again, you have like a pageant queen win, of course, or, you know, just somebody who's very beautiful. Um, but the people who are going to push drag further are going to be like Gottmik and, you know, Utica people, you know, I think working in that sort of way. Simone, I think, is interesting. Yep. Um, like I said, but, um, I really like having Tamisha there and she just, you know, we need more, like I've been, you know, people are going to get sick and tired of hearing it. Our, our, our fans that are intersecting here of drag race and horror, uh, <laughs> you know, they're, they're going to get sick and tired of hearing me talk about herstory, but, um, I think it's important. You know, I like that they, you know, I don't know how many people are really aware of, um, you know, some of the people that they talk about on the show and the history of it. And I, I'm sad that they've gotten away from that over the years, you know, kind of, they used to do those drag race history minutes. Um, I'd like mm-hmm. to see more of that. So I think Tamisha represents a very important part of drag that hasn't gone anywhere. Um, you know, and that there's still, you know, a huge segment of drag Queens that are, you know, doing this sort of, um, you know, classic kind of drag, I guess. I don't know what to call it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it would be disingenuous to say the old way. Foundational, yeah, because, yeah, yeah pageants were the foundation, the female illusion, as yeah, it were. Yeah. So, and I mean, even that, like, it's not exactly, that's not even exactly what I mean, but just kind of like, oh, her doing that ball you know, moment, like kind of teaching about what the mm-hmm. balls were when, you know, you have these drag, these other infants, like, you know, I've never been to a ball. What's a ball? Like what? No, you cannot be a drag queen and not know about ball culture. Like that's just seems blasphemous <laughs> yeah. to a certain degree, you know? So, but anyway, so that's uh drag race uh, minute brought to you by nobody, but if logo or, a VH1 or whoever RuPaul wants to give us some of her money <laughs> by uh, Anastasia uh, Beverly Hills, <laughs> right? By Absolute uh, Vodka cocktails perfected. <laughs> <laughs> we will, uh, we'll take it. Um, so what else? Uh, you, yeah, go ahead. Nothing. I was going to say the ulterior delusions lounge, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so you watched, uh, Promising young woman, right? I saw that you posted about that. I did. Yeah, I did. I, I did. I. It was literally the last thing that we. I watched it with James. It was the last thing we watched before we both went to bed. Um, and I know we're going to do an episode on it, so I don't want to give away too much. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I don't want to talk too much about it. But but I have to say that it's still like it's very. Uh, that that opening song that they have uh, in during the credits, um, like was replaying over and over in my head to like going to bed, and I thought it was such it was such a very interesting and unique take. Um, 
I've absorbed a lot of the criticism because you know me. I like went and read everything I could about it the next day, and I absorbed a lot of the criticism of it. Um, and I think that that's all valid. But at the same time, like I think it's so effective and affecting. Um, it was not at all what I expected it to be. Okay. Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing it. So I, um, you know, and yes, we are. We're definitely going to do um, a, we have a, a, a series, a little, um, a unit of films that we're going to do in conjunction with that. Um, and uh, hopefully we're going to have uh, a special guest join us for that conversation. Although I'm starting to think, looking at your at your Facebook post, I'm like, man, are we going to have to have a panel for this? We need to have like a live Facebook, have 10 people on talking about this movie. Um, but no, we're not going to do that. But uh, we might need to have a few conversations about it. There's obviously lots of feelings and lots of um, uh, interpretations or, 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 you know, analysis happening. So... Uh, I'm looking forward to it. And the films that we're going to do around it, I'm also very excited about. So that will be coming, um, I'd say, probably for our April. Maybe our April mm-hmm. slate of films. We're planning. We're planning, Queens. Yes, we are. We are planning. Because March is already planned out. The rest of uh, February is planned out. So, yeah, we've got... We have plans, you know, every time I think I'm running out of movies to show you, you know, I realize there are a thousand that we haven't even touched. So don't worry. Fright School can stick around. <laughs> um, let me see. What else do we have? Uh, I was trying to think of other news. Um, I want to see the St. Maud that's uh, come out. We um, should maybe look at that. Um, I, I know everybody was really excited about it. And then when COVID hit, it kind of got pushed back. Um, I feel like I saw Scott Roger from uh, horror movie night posting about it or talking about it. He seemed very excited. Um, I'm just kind of looking through like horror news. That's, that's out right now. Um, so that looks fun. Have you, you've never seen any of the wrong turn movies. Have you? No. See, this is another thing. We're going to have to do like a whole, like, I was thinking about this the other day about um, the different genre, like subgenres of horror that we haven't even like really started to touch, like road movies, like horror, you know, on the road, um, you know, what, you know, like these, these kinds of movies where it's like, we're just going to go, you know, for a hike, you know, like Cabin in the Woods type movies, you know, exploring more of those. Um, wrong Turn, there's like a new uh, version coming out. I don't know if it's a, I'm kind of confused on whether it's a reboot or a sequel, uh, but we'll have to watch the original Wrong Turn sometime. That would be very fun. <laughs> It's very, um, it's intense, so to speak. Okay. Uh, are you excited about the Ghostbusters Afterlife? I am. Uh, there's a lot of, it, I think like this year is going to be the year where like I was ready for a lot of those movies that were supposed to come out in 2020. Right. And now it's just going to be like, oh, like I'm going to be pleasantly surprised because now that I've overcome my disappointment and I've reached acceptance in the five stages of pop culture grief, um, I'm like going to be like, oh, this is coming out and this is coming out because like Dune and I'm actually really looking forward to in April, the new Mortal Kombat is going to be coming out, um, right. which like is amazing. It has uh, Hiroyuki Sonata, who was in Ringu, 
Um, I think he's playing uh, Sub Zero or uh, Scorpion I, um, in Mortal Kombat. Yeah. I. So what's what's funny is that like I um, I have a very clear memory of like the different toys related to Mortal Kombat from when I was in like fifth or fourth grade. Yeah. And so I knew like who the different people were. And then when that shitty movie came out, <laughs> um, you know, watching that and thinking that was fun. And so now to have like, I think it's, um, um, I forget who it is that's in charge of it, but he's, uh, he's also done fast and furious movies um, and there's all these like Asian actors in it and it's going to be rated R it's going to be bloody. Um, it's going to be really fun. Huh? Cool. I, you know, again, I'm not a video gamer. Um, so I never mm-hmm. played mortal Kombat. I, I don't know anything about it really. I remember the movie coming out. I think my little brother probably watched it. Um, he was kind of into all those kinds of movies like the, you know, karate kid movies, the three ninja movies, street fighter, street fighter type things um he grew up and became an mma fighter you know so cage fighter so uh you know that tracks <laughs> uh but i never paid any attention so i don't know if i'll see that or not um maybe i don't know if you enjoy it maybe we, you could bring it over here and we'll watch it together won't that be fun well it, it will it'll be it's one of the warner brothers films that's going to be released same day on hbo oh okay well there we go when is that? So yeah, so I'm I am uh, April. They oh. haven't said officially when in April, but it is in April. Right. Um, cool. I got really excited for it because one of the character, one of the characters, uh, one of the actors was an actor in uh, Into the Badlands, which was during one of my like Joe binge watch sessions. So it's nice to see that he's like getting work, uh, further work in something. Cool. Well, I'm excited for you, Joe. Is that is that like horror esque? I don't know. Into the Badlands? No. Um, um that, but into the. Bad- you know they're. That's they're like saying that it's looking pretty dark. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll have to see. I maybe you know. I mean, if it's going to be, you know, I wonder if Jeffrey wants to watch that. I don't know. He. I don't know if he played Mortal Kombat either. I'll have to ask him. Mm-hmm. Is, is Mortal Kombat like a first-person shooter type game? I know he wasn't into those. No, it's like um, it's like an arcade fighting game. Oh, uh, well, there's a good chance then that he maybe played that if it was like arcade type. I don't know. I have to ask him, so see if he's excited uh, about that. Um, I did watch on Shudder, I forgot to mention in the last episode, this Hunted movie. Uh-huh. Um, which I really, I thought was very interesting. Um, it wasn't like wonderful great uh but it was intense it's sort of like about uh this woman uh who is like kidnapped and then she um frees herself uh but like in the middle of the woods and then like the guys who kidnapped her hunt her you know are hunting her and it was very um it was sort of interesting it was on shutter and so i i just wanted to throw that out there plug that um it might be something that we look at at some point uh you know for fun, maybe. Yeah, know. just for fun. I mean, there, were, there were some things to, uh, to critique about it, um, but I did want to throw that that that's that's something I watched. Um, I think it was last week. I think it was before our last episode. I watched it, but I forgot to mention it. 
Um, alrighty. Well, I think that is probably about it. I mean, there is tons of horror news out there. I mean, there's lots of stuff, uh, coming out that, um, what's his name? Luca Guada, um, Guacadino. Yes. Uh, is going to be attached to this cannibal love story. That's exciting. Um, or is attached to, to direct. I don't know anything else about it. Uh, but that's something to keep our eye on. Uh, I loved the Suspiria remake a ton. Um, I'm not a, what was it? Call me by your name. Was that his other movie? Yes, it was. Yeah, I didn't watch that, but <laughs> I mean, I watched pieces, <laughs> of it, but I just wasn't wasn't interested. I love it because, like, it's like Luca Guagadino. How do you know him? Oh, Suspiria remake, and then me. Oh, call me by your name. Like, this is very. Right. There's something for everyone. You have a versatile career. Yeah, peaches, Luca. witches. Um. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. Anyways, so yeah, there. I mean, there's lots of cool stuff on the horizon. Horror, you know, as we know, just uh, there's tons of it every year. So <laughs> lots, lots of things coming out that I'm excited about. Um, most of all, you know, just again, we're a couple weeks away from the new Clarice uh, TV series. I hope it's good. I'll be sad if it's not. Uh, any other news from you, Joe? Not over here. Um, right. You know, just enjoying ourselves uh in this continued quarantine i was able to get a vaccine from my mother oh yay that's exciting yay. and uh hopefully you'll be able to get one for yourself very soon i hope so as well <laughs> so i can see you again we haven't been in the same room together for a long time uh, for a long time um yeah we haven't been in the same room together, like, unmasked and, you know, which it's just so interesting because, like, people are, uh, people are just like, oh, yeah, you know, you can take your mask off. And I'm like, um, fine. <laughs> I will turn away from you as I drink my water or something like that. Because I've been to, I've been to, like, one friend's, like, backyard boogie Right. Where there's just like me and him and his partner, me and James and him and his partner. But like, you know, we were like eight feet away. And, um, and yeah, it's, but like they're, they're completely safe. But just hearing other people talk about like, oh, yeah, we're safe. And like, you know, they're posting pictures at a restaurant or something. I didn't mean for this to go in a COVID direction. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, you know, but anyways, we're glad that uh, vaccines are are on the way and, uh, and uh, people are getting them slowly, but surely. And hopefully that continues to, uh, to spread. Um, All righty. Well, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back to dive into 1972's Blackula. Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and We horror. can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and, oh, the practical effects. <sighs> um, and also the male gaze? My gaze at the males... Hi-oh! From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. 
All right, welcome back. Yes, today we are kicking off our Black Horror History Month celebration. Uh, we're going to be looking at some um, some very interesting. I think, um, yeah, I think some very interesting films over the next few weeks that aren't necessarily. Um, I, I think they're interesting texts in black horror. So uh, we're going to start off with Blackula. 1972. So a couple mm-hmm. things to, first of all, uh, discuss before we really get into the discussion in case our, our dear, dear listener needs education or Joe, if you need education. So um, Blackula is considered a black exploitation film, which is a portmanteau of black and exploitation. So exploitation films were um, back. I mean, their heyday was kind of like in the sixties, seventies, uh, they were usually, you know, pretty low budget, gruesome, gory, lots of sex, drugs, um, you know, kind of uh, considered like low quality B movies that, um, you know, they kind of use like popular releases, you know, like they're kind of like mockbusters in a way, I think of their time, you know, so um, and then black exploitation films, you know, are. A considered a variant. So this, I found this is from uh, the research guides at Dartmouth. Uh, just a quick, I think this is a nice, quick definition and a way to contextualize black exploitation films. Uh, a variant of the exploitation film consisting of low to mid budget, non mainstream U.S. genre films, uh, released between the years of 1970 and 75, starring black actors in key roles and originally intended for black urban audiences. Uh, black exploitation films range across a number of genres, including crime films, horror films, the Western. Um, the films share many characteristics, though, including strong black protagonists with anti-authoritarian attitudes, predominantly, predominantly black urban settings, uh, rhythm and blues soundtracks. I love this. Often with extended montage sequences set to music. Uh, culturally specific dress codes and language use, uh, high levels of violence, and a liberated attitude towards sex. So that kind of explains exploitation films as well. But obviously this is just, you know, more sort of focusing on a, uh, the, the black perspective. Um, so we go to, um, horror noir by Robin Armin's Coleman, her book textbook, one of our recommended texts for Fright School. Um, foundational, foundational text for Fright School. Um, 1972's Blackula was the decade's gold standard for recreating a, and then in quotes or in parentheses, white horror classic in the image of blackness while also tackling issues of black pride and empowerment. Directed by the black filmmaker William Crane and starring William Marshall, this black horror, again in quotes, film presents a compelling take on the vampire story while exploring the effects of racism alongside the loss of black history and identity. So, Today, we are going to talk about a few different uh, things with, uh, with Blackula. But as always, let's start with Joe's take. I put this up there with Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, you enjoyed it? I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was... Um, I, I don't know. I think uh, it's interesting because it's like I'm watching it also as someone who has the context, having, you know, seen already a couple times Horror Noir. We'll probably watch Horror Noir again as, you know, we're heading into on this the first day of February. 
Right. Um, and it's it was so interesting. This is my first time seeing Black Yellow, and I'm a, I'm a familiar with the black exploitation genre um, as a whole. But it was just so um, it was not what I expected, which I think was what um, made me like it a lot. Is like, oh, that's a very interesting take on it. And then to kind of see everything that was happening. Plus, it was just like a fun movie. Um, which, again, no offense to mod- no offense to films like, quote unquote, old films. But a lot of old films, you know, it takes a little bit for my attention to be, um, uh, for my attention to be held. So this, but this one had it the entire time. Um which was really great. And I was very invested. So yeah, absolutely. Right up there with, um, uh, right up there with, uh, Night of the Living Dead, um, adding this to the list of like films that I would watch, um, like around Halloween time. Yeah, absolutely. Why now you tie it to Night of the Living Dead. Like what, what is it about it that you, um, Night of the Living Dead is the film that when people when people ask me what's my favorite film that I've seen in Fright School, um, Night of the Living Dead I always give. And now I think it's going to be interchangeable. It's going to be like Night of the Living Dead, Blackula, um, Jennifer's Body. It's going to be those three on rotation. <laughs> what an interesting um, collection of films. Um, yeah, because I, and the reason why I give those three, you know, just for future reference of any listener uh, that's hearing this is um, they're on just as reg- as films, as horror films, they're very good and effective and they're very fun and have a lot of appeal. Um, but then like the film itself and the intention from the director, they're saying more. There's like, there's a lot deeper discussion that can be had as well, which I think is the point of Fright School. So yeah, no, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Right. Taking horror too seriously since 2016. Yeah, That's our new, <laughs> exactly. Our new branding. Um, or taking it just seriously enough. Um, mm-hmm. no, I, yeah. Blackula is one of those interesting, uh, films that i did not see um for a long long time one i think because of just general um i I mean i don't think there's any way other way to put it than like just general racism you know that like Mm -hmm. it was sort of when i heard about blackula for the first time it was contextualized as like oh they took dracula and made him black um, and that's, you know, and I think what I got as a kid, um, who loved horror movies and liked vampires, but for some reason I never thought, oh, I should watch Blackula because it really felt to me like it was not a movie made for me. Like I wouldn't understand it or something, um, which is horrible and awful, obviously. Uh, but I'm just, you know, being honest sort of about the ways that like different films, you know, like that's not a film for you. This, that's not a film for you, or this is the film for you or what, you know, in the, in the, in the sense that like, like, Oh, because it's the, because it's the black version, it's the knockoff version. So it's not for me. Cause I want the real, I think to some extent there's that, um, mm-hmm. but also just the idea of it being like a black exploitation film, you know, I, I just don't yeah. think, I mean, again, like I w- was raised in Ohio by people that were largely from, you know, Kentucky, you know, the, you know, the, the familial history there. And so I just, I didn't see a lot of films growing up that were, you know, considered, you know, that were considered for black audiences. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. In, the, in this yeah. sense, like Blackula, you know, those sorts of those sorts of films. I'm just saying it's just as something that, you know, I know I'm aware that, that I have an ignorance there, you know, or did. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously seeing Blackula and especially when it was recontextualized, um, you know, um, by like Horror Noir where I'm like, gosh, you know, I really missed out on seeing that film you know, and kind of Mm -hmm. understanding what it was really, what it was saying and that more everybody, you know, it, I mean, it's a fun horror film that anybody should see, you know? Um, but it also, uh, you know, is operating on on a very interesting place culturally, you know, in the seventies, you know, with the, Mm -hmm. you know, with what was happening with like the civil rights movement, the black Panthers, you know, all these sorts of conversations of, of, um, you know, anti-authority, anti-authoritarianism, a bit a lot happening there um anti-authority kind of conversations you know against the police and you know white supremacy and so i just um you know again i'm just saying that this is this is one of the rare movies that we've talked about on fright school where i i didn't see as a kid or see like as a teenager and have this kind of uh deeper understanding of it in that sense um i do now and again i regret that i wasn't shown you know this and I, I hate that people you know contextualize it as um it's a black dracula when that's not really what's happening yeah. at all that's not the conversation it's not no. it can, it's not simply that um you know that there because the name it's like the name itself is just so it's like oh blackula black dracula you know what i mean like we're we're having fun with portmanteaus <laughs> today <Right>. so <laughs> exactly yeah so it's like you know i and the same thing and and i i bring that characterization up of like the film and like what you meant that it's not for you because i often struggle with that for myself where it's like oh i want um I'm constantly looking for like the authentic or the real. And so to, you know, having the context of watching of like Blackula, never thinking that like, Oh, this is not for me because I'm not, I'm a non, I'm not black person. Um, or this is not black, you know, this is black culture. It's not for me. It's not for me in the sense of like, it is, uh, less than it is, um, pastiche. And I do not want to uh, see, there's your $5 word today. The sort of pastiche. <laughs> and I want the real seeking the real, as opposed to, um, whatever this caricature is. And, Watching it, I was pleasantly surprised because, again, like you know, it's been a, it's been about a year since I saw horror noir last. So it was nice to kind of have that all those lessons refreshed and to see that there's a uh, um there's a depth, there's more of a depth to it. Yeah, yeah, and and something that was like purposeful. You know, there's a lot of things done in this film that were purposeful commentary that could be kind of uh, again because it's horror. Um, you know, and it's operating, you know, in a way where, um, you know, they're not dealing with huge budgets and, you know, there's not like a ton of investment from the studios and all of that. It's just like, this is a really, this is a profit making endeavor. Um, mm-hmm. especially with, um, um, oh shoot, what were they called? The, the production company, uh, American International Pictures who made this. Um, it was kind of interesting to listen to um, in, in Horror Noir, William Crane talks about the director of the film who, who is a black man. Um, he talks about how um, 
to his knowledge, AIP was in big trouble. You know, they had made, they mm-hmm. were making these kinds of films, but they weren't really breaking. I mean, maybe they were breaking even, but they weren't turning a big profit. And Blackula really kind of saved them. Like Blackula did, you know, I mean, it made, what was it like a million dollars or something then, which was kind of a big deal for a black exploitation film in kind of a limited oh, yeah. sort of release, you know, so it did well, did well enough to, you know, have a sequel scream, Blackula scream, you know, so, again, we see horror sort of saving, like, you know, we say, oh, um, um, uh, New Line Nightmare. is the house mm-hmm. that Freddie built, and, you know, that there are, uh, you know, horror films are a great way to, you know, to make a big profit if you do it well. And obviously, Blackula spoke to people and 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 did well as a horror film just as you know on, on the on the basis of being released and making money but they also you know had a lot of mixing of like white and black people especially in like the club scene that was very purposeful as they talk about in horror noir where you know when he came to set everybody was paired up by race and he's like no 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 let's mix all these people up you know let's kind of do let's do things that are not um you know, typically seen, like, we're not going to, we're not going to re we're trying to have a bigger conversation here about working together and about, uh, the communities coming together to some extent. Now the film itself, you know, we can get into the kind of a broader critique of whether or not (laughs) it's successful in those, uh, goals. Mm -hmm. Um, but we'll just like, let's just start right off at the beginning. So what I think is very, um, very interesting. And uh, Tanana Reeve talks about this again in Horror Noir. So Horror Noir is going to come up a lot in this conversation. So let's just accept that both the book and the film, the documentary. If you've not seen it, um, that is stop be a crime. What you're listen- <laughs> stop, stop what you're doing and go and listen to it. Or go and watch the movie, at least. Go watch the documentary. Yeah. Um, because it's fantastic. It's very well yeah. done. Fantastic. Very well done. Yeah, um, that's yeah, that's what else are you gonna say? Um, you know, it's 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 very very interesting. I wish they w- could expand. They do have an expanded version of it as well. I think on Shutter, uh, that's like uh, you know another hour and a half or so with of interviews and things with like Tony Todd and you know the other people that are in the um, in, in the film. Uh, but anyway, so uh, Tanana Reevdu talks about like kind of right off at the beginning, you know. We have uh, Prince Mama Walde, that's William Marshall, the titular Blackula, he becomes. Uh, You know, he is um, sent to negotiate with Count Dracula. So what's interesting, first of all, is that they are able to travel there. You know, they're, they're, they're coming to Transylvania themselves from Africa. Uh, they are, uh, she calls them erudite, Tanana Reevdu calls them erudite. Like, when did you see that in like, in a film where the beginning of the film is set in 1780, where else did you see black characters like that? You know, that were, Mm -hmm. you know, wealthy, aristocratic, you know, um, and and altruistic altruistic obviously um which i mean that that you could you know say is true about a lot of films but just you know in this like you know they've come to negotiate with dracula and so they want to negotiate the end of the transatlantic uh slave trade um which Dracula, of course, as a white person, is like uh as a white person who's extremely wealthy and gaining lots of wealth from uh 
from the the trade, the enslavement of of people is like, uh, yeah, fuck off. And by the way, I'm it, things escalate very quickly in this movie. <laughs> it's like yeah. it starts off in like running, you know. So, um, you know, he quickly reveals he's a vampire, and uh, after making that horrible remark about wanting to own the man's wife, which again is is emasculating, um, you know, and. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's a whole like um, this whole conversation, this whole, uh, of of like vampirism and this dialogue with Dracula, just you know, um, is a great metaphor for enslavement. You know, because yeah, he he said like um, it should. It's basically like a compliment that a man such as myself wants to enslave your wife. What? Yeah, um, wants to own your wife as property, um, and that's where one of the the, pro- the problematics with with uh, Blackula is uh, is with the women. You know, they, um, and again, that's not uh, a surprise. Horror is often misogynistic. Uh, vampire stories in general are often very misogynistic because it's about like, you know, the evil man who wants the girl and the good man who wants the girl, you know, and that's a fight over preserving her womanhood, her innocence, her her whatever is at stake, her love, um, you know, so this easily plays into that. Also, it's interesting to me um, when it comes to Luva, his wife, um, Mamualde's uh, wife, uh, or princess, I would Im- imagine. Uh, yeah, princess, yeah. Um, is, you know, he's dressed very much like Dracula, very westernized, where she's very, you know, in, um, you know, African dress and, you know, is a little bit more... Um, decorative literally and figuratively you know and Mm -hmm. so she becomes sort of this pawn and then of course his love for her is the instigating you know the uh Mm -hmm. you know the the problem that perpetuates the narrative forward anyway so um yeah um Back to like, Dracula. So, uh, Blackula is a commentary on vampirism, slavery, and black male identity. This is from uh, Kinked Words. Uh, this idea that Blackula turns him into a vampire, or Dracula turns Blackula, <laughs> turns Mama Walde into a vampire. <laughs> That's going to happen a lot, folks. <laughs> right. Immediately strips him of his name, says, You're uh-huh. now Blackula. So, I'm giving you my name. That's extremely, you know racist and and plays right into um you know this as a as a metaphor for for slavery uh strips away his name you know presumably kills the the wife or does whatever it is you know dracula is going to do to her um and then entombs him for 200 years to suffer you know for the um horrible crime of wanting to uh have his people be free <laughs> um you know so again the uh the immense cruelty of dracula it echoes the immense cruelty of 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 white supremacy and the patriarchy um that you know has been committed against uh black bodies so puts him in the coffin seals him up goes about his business, has his fight with uh, Van Helsing at some point and dies and the castle is left empty for hundreds of years, 150 years. <laughs> well, no, uh, gets sucked up into the amulet and then the monster squad <laughs> comes and... <Right. laughs> exactly. Uh, so all of that kind of happens while he's, uh, while, while poor um, Mamualde is stuck in this um, coffin. And then, uh, first of all, the title sequence was amazing. 
Oh, yes. I really love that. I don't know if any of the originals of that exist anywhere, but I'd be very interested in seeing like the, the drawings and, you know, the, um, the work there. I just, I really, really loved, I even Jeffrey came in and, uh, at the, towards the end of the film and I was like, hold on, we're going to watch the rest of it. And then I'm going to show you the titles. Cause I thought they were really, really neat. And I meant to write down who did then. That makes me so sad. Um, and it were very reminiscent of like James Bond title sequence. Like it just the, the kind of abstract art and, and the, great score behind it. Like it's very much, um, it's interesting that you say that one of the things no. I was reading about black exploitation films is that kind of identity, you know, with like James Bond type figures. Um, I just thought that, I think that's kind of interesting that you bring that up. Cause you know, sometimes that's what they're doing, you know, mm-hmm. sort of is, um, remaking, you know, that kind of film. Uh, yeah, well, it's like the large. The, this is like a larger than life character. It's the right. you know the the man that every the the per, the man that every man wants to be and every woman wants to be with, right? So, right, yeah, absolutely. Um, anyway, so I just had to mention the title sequence because I thought it was very very cool, and I wish I had like a print of of like an image from that because I just mm-hmm. uh, I really uh, really dug the dug that imagery. So. Then we have years later, like we said, to you know, almost two hundred years later, uh, we're in 1972. So this is set in present day, you know, of the film, contemporary, uh, contemporary uh, present day. And uh, man, um, we got our two our two little queer darlings, uh, antiques the. Um, Antiques dealers who have, I'm not exactly sure what's happened. They haven't bought the castle, I guess, but they bought all the contents in it and they're going to take it back to America to sell. Yes, because people love freaky shit. <laughs> right. Uh, which they say that's, this is, uh, what is it, Bobby and Billy? Mm-hmm. Um, the homosexual ga- <laughs> interior decorators. Um, the gayest names. I mean, like, that's so, I mean, I don't know. I feel like that's so period appropriate gay names. It's like Bobby and Billy. Yeah. <laughs> Because it's like simultaneously infantilizing as well, you know, like this, the idea that these, it's a, and it's very much, you know, this is a very kill your queers. Um, And to have them be like, um, like an interracial couple, which I don't think it's ever explicitly said that they're a couple. They could just be friends or partners, like business partners, but to have it be like two, a man and uh, two men, one black, one white. I thought that was uh, very interesting too. You know, it's interesting. I, I feel like it does get a reading that um, that Bobby and Billy are, you know, they're doting on one another and equal partners in a thriving business. Um, of course, they're reduced to, sorry, dear listener, but, you know, it is in the film a lot, two faggot interior decorators. We get the, the F word a lot in this uh, film. Uh, in, we in do. In relation to them. Uh, With impunity. Again, What's that? With oh, yeah. impunity. Oh, of course, you know. Um, again, it's the othering, you know, of, of, of um, you know, of, you know, within, within, within an othered community, you know. So they're, you know, again, there's, um, it's interesting. They, the, the, the queer characters in this serve a very interesting function. Like later on, I think, is it the police when they're driving around and they're like, 
well, is that him or is that him? And they're like, they all look the same, meaning gay people all look the same, mm-hmm. which I think is mm-hmm. very interesting in this film when that's often, you know, um, accused, you know, something that uh, white people used to say about black people or Asian people or, you know, that, that I mean, it's such a very... For a racial othering. Exactly. So to have that kind of flipped around on queer characters, I thought was very interesting. Like, well, they all look the same. And I was like, hmm, that's, you know, that's kind of fascinating. Well, they're also like surrogates for the Renfield character in the original Dracula story, right? Kind of, yeah. I think in, in in a way, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Now, obviously, this kind of gets contextualized, though, by, um, you know, Mama Walde. So, Blackula's character, who's been, you know, stripped of his identity, he's been... Um, uh, metaphorically enslaved by vampirism and been robbed of like the love of his life. So there's this kind of uh, reading of the film where it's about, um, you know, he's trying to reclaim his own identity, reclaim his masculinity. So to kind of have this, uh, one of the first things he does is murder an interracial gay couple. And again, this is what I'm talking about when they're saying like, Oh, we, we want to mix all the the black and white people or the people of color and the white people. We want to mix them all together in the club to show like working together, you know, togetherness, um, um, you know, desegregation, you know, that sort of imagery. And then you have a loving, they're reading at least, you know, giving the film a reading that they're a loving gay couple who are in an interracial relationship kind of should demonstrate that, you know, obviously kind of right from the beginning. Um, you know, but it's, that's the question. What are they being punished for? Are they being punished because they have kind of participated now in like the trade by bringing his body physically to LA and then unleashing him. So is that what they're being punished for? Or are they being punished because again, with this kind of hyper masculinity, uh, idea, you know, it's hyper, um, you know, toxic, you know, machoism kind of stuff that Blackula represents. He kills them first in kind of a brutal way is you know they're being punished you know for being queer as well and a way for him to um you know again with with analysis of the film you know take down you know a feminine man you know and reclaim some of his masculinity which again that is kind of i think what is at the root of a lot of violence against queer people and against you know lgbtq people is this idea that i mm-hmm. ha- i'm reclaiming something i'm showing how you know masculine i am when really that's we know that's not always true psychologically what's happening well yeah because and is it true like functionally because like the way that he would have quote unquote reclaimed his masculinity was like sucking two men <laughs> to completion. Well, yeah, exactly. That's the talking about <laughs> like, yeah, the homoeroticism inherent in vampirism. Yeah. And I, I and it's interesting because it's like, are they being again, because we always talk about the morality of horror, right? Because like you, you are dire, you die because of this or whatever. And so we in this situation, it's like, are they is is the horror morality the fact that, you know, they because they participated? Um I think it actually is probably something maybe a little simpler in that. It's that okay. they are um they're very frivolous. Like it's, we are do, we are basically exploiting all of this for our, you know, Oh, look, this will make a great, like this will make a great piece in a living room, this coffin, like how much of a gas that would be. And there's right. a, there's kind of a, a frivolity and a disrespect, uh, 
towards towards these things and because it goes away from like the traditional norms of what the objects mean you know when you're thinking about um again not to not to you know again your yours is dialectic materialism mine's is semiotic relationships between sign and signifier so it's like <laughs> you know the all of that stuff and so to see again like blackula's first uh kills are essentially this like gay couple who could give a shit you know because again like that's that that's also just them being like that's kind of inherent in queer culture as well like you know you're in the face of whatever is established and so he, he to have him come and do that but again i mean like you can say you're reestablishing your masculinity but at the expense of like sucking two men dry um i don't know and also this is a pre-AIDS context, right? So like this is a pre this is a pre-AIDS context. I, I just kept thinking like if they were to remake this now, um I wonder what that I wonder I wonder if they made this even like, you know, just ten years later, what kind of message that would have said or if that would have done anything to him. Because it's yeah. kind of addressed in a horror story coven. Um like the AIDS and all that stuff. And it's, it's, it's addressed in kind of more modern tales of vampirism. Right. No, I absolutely. I think, you know, again, pulling from like horror noir, um, you know, the, the book said beyond the black macho queer, queer, uh, black exploitation. This is a, an article fine said heterosexuality anchors represents representations of quote unquote, authentic, blackness and hero and heroism while queerness gains a certain threatening representational power uh, so this means diverse sexualities are not absent from black film quite the contrary there are a great number of at least uh, queer characters however the films themselves admittedly remain anxious and often phobic in their handling of these characters and so it goes back to presenting an authentic black masculine ideal mama walde's feelings for tina you know can be viewed as uh, motivating um, for Afrocentric nostalgia for a complete and full blackness. So it's just, that's kind of where that contextualizing again is happening in, you know, but I mean, I, I also agree with you like that is, I mean, it's just kind of functional narratively that, you know, there are these queer antique dealers that are, you know, just happen to, you know, buy this up, bring it back, you know, but why, why couldn't they have been a straight couple? Why couldn't they have been a white couple, a black couple, you know what i mean again you just have to you know think about there has to be a reason you know for making them queer and for making them interracial like they're just there's there has to be discussions behind that um to some extent you know but again it's an exploitation film <laughs> where you know it's just shocking and you know maybe the, you know, they're with the horror that comes they're a, a nice funny element you know, which they are, we, you know, we watched that whole scene together after the credits, we watched up until they find the coffin. And, you know, of course, we found it humorous as well. You know, there is there is a humor to the characters and that they're very, you know, um, you know, just, they're very gay. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a reason why I, I think there's a reason why people say, or it, it at least I've heard the like disco is the combination of two great civil rights struggles, uh, LGBT <laughs> and black people. So it's like, and even in, um, even in Netflix's the get down, um, which charts like the beginning of rap and hip hop, uh, 
through Baz Luhrmann's lens in like 1970s Bronx. What's interesting about that is that like they there's a whole thing there where it's like, oh, if you want this record to play, you got to go to the best DJs. And everyone knows that all the best DJs are at the gay bars. They're all clubs that are owned by that are for gay men or um, are the DJs themselves are gay. And so I thought that's really to have that kind of acknowledgement, at least there and to kind of see that, you know, you could make it a very arc dotted line <laughs> from to kind of those representations. And then again, we're also talking about two um, communities that are significantly marginalized by like white cis patriarchy of right. the 70s. Absolutely. Um, you know, again, it's, yeah, I think that it leaves room for a lot of conversation and a lot of like connecting mm-hmm. dots. Um, so something else to kind of talk about is, uh, Blackula, Mama Walde, um, you know, he sort of operates on a couple of levels. Obviously he's the villain of the film, you know, or at least the antagonist of the film, you know, his bloodlust and his, and his real lust for, uh, Tina, his reincarnated mm-hmm. Luva, um, you know, are the driving kind of, um, his, um, shoot, what's the word I'm looking for? His, um, ah, motivation there we go that's where like, <laughs> his motivations you know or he are to you know drink blood and uh get his wife back and maybe turn her into a vampire and they can live together forever in whatever their ideas of happiness whatever you know mm-hmm. um, um which again he, you know he learned a lot about himself in those 200 years <laughs> like he know you know there there are certain plot holes in this that you know i'm kind of like wait how does he know that he's not going to show up on camera or how does he you know he kind of knows a lot of things maybe they just pass it on you know telepathically or something it's just inherent in the it, when the when the vampirism takes over you just auto- automatically know that you will never get to look in a mirror <laughs> again yeah maybe um so back to King Tward. So looking at the two things of him as like a villain. And then of course he's also heroic. I mean, they're using him, you know, as a, uh, as a force of like, you know, black African pride and also, um, you know, anti authority, authority. Uh, obviously he fights with the cops and, and, you know, does that sort of thing. So, um, a very important part in analyzing Mama Walde, this is back to the King Tward's, um, WordPress, uh, Blackula commentary on vampirism, slavery, and black male identity. Um, uh, so, it, uh, Mamwalde is a monster is to look at why and how he chooses his victims. An analysis of this conveys how he's a fusion between a heroic character killing perpetuators of racism and an objectifying villain killing black women in an attempt to regain his masculinity. So this is the other part of the masculinity conversation, the queerness of it. And then, um, literally, you know, killing black women left and right, um, which does not seem very, uh, empowered, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Um, so, um, with every victim, there's a reason why he attacks them. Uh, these reasons are sent around, uh, centered around his insatiable desire to regain some semblance of his masculinity and identity. Um, why and how these victims are chosen reveals a great deal about the racial and gender dynamics of the film, uh, along with whether or not the film uh, legitimates or justifies these attacks. So obviously we already talked about the interracial gay couple who he kills first, Um, you know, and then I think the next is the cab driver next. 
Um, he, um, Juanita. Yeah, the second, well, really mm-hmm. third victim is uh, Juanita Jones. So it's interesting because she like hits him with her cab and then she gets out and she's yelling at him and, um, you know, talking, you know, quote unquote, like talking back to him, you know, and putting mm-hmm. him in his place. And then she calls him boy and he's like, okay, enough of that and kills her. So there's like that dynamic again of him being emasculated by her, you know, and he, you know, go you know kills her <laughs> when it's like dude you were in the wrong you like walked out in front of her cab or whatever <laughs> yeah uh, also he like missed i mean he it's interesting because like he's an african prince right so you would have to it assumes that he understands the significance of someone being called boy right uh, how right. the demoralizing of that and how it relates to you know, the centuries of um, enslavement and... Right, but coming from a black woman, it's it's interesting. You're like contextualizing yes. Well, yes. From, yeah. you know, from that. And again, it kind of, I think it's more of like, she's talking to him very maternally, almost, not maternally, but very, you know, um, infantilizing. You know, mm-hmm. like, how dumb are you? Um, and then it, it, the, the other... Um, attack happens against um, uh, what was her name? The um, the camera, op- the the camera girl, uh, Nancy, and so they that whole sequence of him like following her. It's very like point of view and very intense, like stalking her. Um, you know, they this this uh, piece, this paper. Uh, contextualizes that as uh, as a, as a rape scene, uh, just without the sexual uh, component. Uh, mm-hmm. She's raped of her identity by being uh, bitten and transformed into a vampire. And so, this scene marks the highest point of the ob- objectification of black women by a black man trying to reclaim his masculinity and power. Um, you know, so again, that within the context of of Blackula and of, of this particular analysis about, you know, again, positing him more as like, you know, these are the villainous traits, you know, the things mm-hmm. he does that, um, you know, kind of put him in, you know, he's not, he's not saving black people from white um, supremacy, you know, yeah. he is actually, kind of almost this like cycle of abuse with slavery, you know, and with enslavement, yeah. you know, he's passing this on, you know, this, this vampirism and, um, you know, uh, there's just this objectification, obviously the dance sequence, there's lots of, you know, objectification of women's bodies in that sequence. Again, this is nothing new for horror and does not set Blackula apart, obviously. Um, but he also like he, this is a curse like again this is the mm-hmm. a curse that was given to him by white european <laughs> white european for all intents and purposes colonizer so right. it's like the perpetuation of a curse and you know how at the end of the day like it all even though he is the anti you know the villain quote unquote villain anti-hero in some cases it's all because of you know, someone, it was passed down. Right. So. Right. So, and I, I like that you bring that up because that kind of directly connects back to, um, uh, 
the horror noir analysis, which I don't know if I said the chapter that this is in is called Scream Whitey Scream. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but uh, so, however, uh, in the film, the connection between noble Africans and African-Americans is perhaps unintentionally illusory. Mama Walde lands in a predominantly black section of L.A., but it is clear that these are not his people. Uh, Mama Walde is of a different time and cast. It is, it, it is as if, as James Baldwin so eloquently wrote in Notes of a Native Son of African uh, slash American relationships, they face each other, the Negro and the African, over a gulf of 300 years, an alienation too vast to be conquered in an evening's goodwill. Certainly, it does not help that Mama Walde preys upon the Black Americans he encounters, making him little different from anyone or thing that had been known to victimize Blacks and their communities. Um. So again, that's kind of the, uh, contextualizing him into the um, that's the villainous part, and it's interesting that he mm-hmm. the role he's playing there. Again, you know, the film is a black exploitation film. It's meant to have you know black characters in those typical positions in a horror film. Uh, so I don't think it's um, I, I don't think it's this is necessarily it's not any more bad or negative than any other horror film that also perpetrates these sorts of, um, you know, quote unquote crimes against, (laughs) um, you know, communities. So, but uh, we also have on the other side, he is, he does attack clear perpetrators of racist ideology. So, especially in the last segments of the film where he's kind of taken out cops left and right, there is sort of a, um, um, there is a conversation throughout the film, you know, about like how the cops handle crimes in black neighborhoods. Um, even though the main investigator is a black man as well, but still a lot of the cops that are shown are white are making, you know, these sort of same, um, I mean, it, it's nothing new, <laughs> you know, the, the ways that they talk, the ways that they behave, the ways that they're dismissive of the characters, uh, you know, who are under attack is very much true today as it was in the seventies, as it was in the fifties, as it was back and back. And unfortunately may remain so for some time. Um, I, so is the doctor then that collect is a, is he like a collaborative collaborator co- with co-conspirator with the police? The doctor? Um, I don't know if I want to call him a co-conspirator. Um, the um, You're talking about Dr. Uh, Gordon Thomas, which yes. I, guess, I mean, I guess he's not really, I, I keep wanting to kind of frame him as like, you know, one of the other, um, like a, a police officer, but he's kind of in a weird position i think in the film but i don't know if i want to say he's a co-conspirator i mean obviously he wants to stop the deaths that there's this attack happening um you know but i don't know what do you think i think i think we can't help but look at it from a 2021 lens right (laughs) and from a from a lens of you know if like Oh, he's the pathologist. The, so we just to clarify. So he's the pathologist. Yeah, so he's a pathologist. He's stu- studying the, the studying the occult, <laughs> and so like he, 
so we're looking if we're looking at it from our 2021 lens with you know widespread calls for defunding of the police and right. for you know those types of things it's it's very interesting that at this time when you know i mean i was i would i was going to say at the time when the violence was rampant but it's still very rampant to this day so i won't i won't belittle it but you know in an idea of like a, a burgeoning black panther movement a um on the heels of like you know civil rights um civil rights demonstrations and protests and you see this man who is a doctor who is natural hair afro um his wife you know tina and and tina's sister is his wife and to see him basically like you know to go to the authority um for help from the authorities is like another white it's a white man and all the police officers are white and so it's just interesting to me to not kind of to not kind of read it as like Uncle Tomish, and I don't use that phrase lightly. I'm very, very aware of how loaded that phrase is. But at the same time, like I'm just, I'm, I'm just, it's so fascinated by like by that, and like I kind of was expecting Blackula to be more of like a revolutionary figure mm-hmm. in terms of like this is how you know the white man did this to me. Um, I'm now using my curse as a gift and you can do this against the white man again. Like, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to rewrite the film and I don't want to, but I was just expecting that. I just did not expect, uh, um, Dr. Gordon Thomas to be like, all right, well we got to find this guy and kill him. Like, (laughs) well, again, I mean, I think that, you know, it's kind of, he is, looking at him as a monstrous figure, you know, and, you know, a murderer. And mm-hmm. so, um, cause I, I think it's, I don't know. I think it's complex again. I think with, um, just like with, with, um, Blackula himself, you know, there is, there's a lot of conflicting ideologies there as a vampire, as an African, as a prince, as, uh, you know, something that's living, but also dead something, you know, I mean, there's, there's just a lot of, you know, conflicting natures. And I think that, you know, and that's, that's a big conversation too, about like, you know, do quote unquote, relatively good people leave the police? Do they quit their jobs and leave? Is that what, is that what, we need, um, you know, or do we need more people? You know, I've struggled with that idea, especially with like deciding what I want to do with my career as I'm, as I, as I'm furthering that in psychology, I've got a lot of interest in forensics and a lot of interest in, in forensic psychology. And, in you know, I think that we do need to find a way to make the police as a whole, more mental health aware, uh, more, um, you know, less likely to, to kill people (laughs) just showing up. But again, the police don't really function in my political view. They're, they're a, um, they're functioning as they're meant to function. You know, (laughs) there's not a real vested interest in changing the police, um, you know, across because they could do it, you know, it could easily be done. You know, you, you, we could really 
refocus a lot of our efforts and, you know, and, and radically change how, how the police operate if, if there was true interest from the top. Um, but I just don't think there is, I think they're, they're we're perfectly fine with the way they're murdering people. Um, not as a whole, not like community, but, um, power structure wise, <laughs> you know? Uh, so I think a lot of people struggle with that. So I don't know. I kind of have a hard time contextualizing him as the, as a bad guy, um, when I think he is trying to protect his community from what seems to him to be a killer, you know, murdering mm-hmm. black women, uh, particularly, or, you know, or killing, you know, cops or whatnot, you know, people that I guess he sees as coworkers, you know, um, I don't know. That's a very good question. One that I wasn't really thinking of too much. <laughs> um, I thought, fo- you know, I mean, I focus a lot of my analysis on, on Mom Walde's character. Cause obviously he's, you know, the, you know, the most interesting, um, uh, because of all the, like the fusion of identities that are happening with him. And again, yeah. what is, what is, what is the point of Blackula? What is it trying to say? Uh, which again, I think is, is muddled because it's a horror film. And like any horror film, you know, there are these grand ideas that are sometimes lost, you know, in translation, um, you know, but I, and that's the thing in watching this, I'm like, man, we could do like a bunch of episodes just on, you know, cause there's a lot, there's a lot to analyze, yeah. you know? And, and that echoes up, you know, cause I think of like, you know, I don't know. There's just, there's a lot of like plot points that I think feed into, I've seen kind of echoed into other films or pulled from other films, you know, especially like the reincarnated lover and yeah. you know, what is that kind of all about? And, you know, her, like her role um, could be a lot, bigger and, and more powerful um she's kind of ready to become a vampire right away like sure i'm down uh, yeah she's all like there was no like i'm like oh, oh I, i'm attracted to you i'm ready it was very um the mummy but like the new mummy right. where where like emotep is like looking for um anaxunamu like <laughs> right <laughs> um I was trying to find there was another note I wanted to make because again, I do, I, I, I do think that, um, there are like representations in the film, like especially at the beginning when like the, the white servants like jump on him and are, are mm-hmm. beating him down while he's separated. Like that echoes that family separations that happened mm-hmm. um, and to still happen, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, and so we can, you know, there, again, there are ways that we can review, you know, we can analyze him as, as a tragic figure, you know, kind of in a way black killer operates, I think in the same way that Candyman operates, you know, where mm-hmm. there is this mm-hmm. like sort of, you know, poetic beauty to him. Um, you know, there's this sadness, this tragedy, this horror that's been, you know, enacted on him because again, he came there to, to negotiate what he thought was a reasonable thing. You know, the ending of this, you know, barbaric, you know, the merits of bar of, of bar of barbaric behavior, you know, mm-hmm. when Dracula thinks that there's slaver, you know, slavery is, has merit as value. Um, you know, so he's there to, you know, what he thinks, you know, to fight against this barbaric structure. And then Dracula's like, well, you're the one from the jungle, you know? And it's just kind of showing again, that dichotomy of like, you know, this, this cruel evil behavior, you know, being 
like, no, I'm not the one that's cruel and barbaric. You're from the jungle, for, for Christ's sake. You know? yeah, <laughs> even like, though he's, like, sitting there in front of him in, right. like, a cravat. Yeah. And, yeah. And yeah. That's wealth. I mean, especially in that time in the 1700s, like, to be able to travel that distance and to come there, you know, I mean, that speaks to a certain amount of wealth, I think. Um, yeah, with relative safety right. all the way up. Yeah. Yeah. To come that, um, yeah, that relative distance by boat, you imagine. Um, you know, so, um, you know, he, yeah, they, they should be considering each other on the same level, but obviously white supremacy will, um, white supremacist. <laughs> um, so I, you know, again, I think that there, there's that thread throughout the film as well, where, you know, he is this tragic figure that just kind of wants his love back and his life back. Um, and along the way he, you know, kills innocent people that get in the way of that. Um, but, you know, then he gets to like the big battle sequence, which again, we, I kept rewatching. There's a scene where he's at the, at the top of like, you know, in like, I don't know what it was like a factory or something, but he, yeah, it's like a rundown factory or something or something. Well, yeah, I guess it would have been where they were holding him or whatnot, his lair, you know, where, but whatever. And he was, uh, he picks up like a barrel and throws it at the cop and it like smacks him in the head. Do you know what part I'm talking about? I don't know. Yeah. I, rewound and watch that like several times because it was so funny i mean we were like laughing hysterically <laughs> in bed because it was just so ridiculous he just like throws See, his we're gonna need a gif of that so if anyone wants to make that a gif right? uh please send it to us yeah i thought that was um um hysterical it just kind of it kept making me laugh i'm like this is this is lovely uh so you know that whole sequence and again you know we there's just no getting around. Like I, I, I'm, I refuse to acknowledge any argument that, you know, would say the police are not a massive force in you know, arbitrating white supremacy and the values of systemic uh, racism, you know? So there is something in that, in those scenes when he's killing cops or kind of fighting back, like the, that is, that is a very clear positioning him as, as, as a vigilante type figure for the black community. Um, and there is a certain amount of like revenge fantasy and uh, mm-hmm. fun there. Yeah. Which is a, which is a black exploitation trope through and through. Absolutely. Uh, you know, exploitation films in general, and then obviously, yeah, more, more pointedly and more, um, you know, the, the imagery of that, it's, there's all, there's more power in that. You know, obviously I can imagine audiences, especially at that time, just coming out of like, you know, massive riots and years of of turmoil with years obviously still ahead. But, you know, kind of like right in 72, like you're having these, you know, conversations in a larger way about how do we fight the power literally, you know, so to kind of have this figure who's impervious to bullets and um, is powerful and can move fast and, you know, seems, you know, magical, um, you know, fighting off the police and doing mm-hmm. whatever he wants, you know, with impunity as a black person is extremely um, exciting, you know, I'm sure yeah. at this time. And, and again, why this is, you know, probably one of the most, again, like we said earlier, the gold standard of black exploitation horror films, um, which I guess is a good place. We can kind of wrap this up. Um, you know, I I did. I really enjoyed this. Again, there are there are things in it because it's, you know, low budget and you know, it's it's a horror film. So there are things that of course could be 
you know, I think cleaned up or tightened up. I, I, I did have questions about things. <laughs> um, you can definitely notice that it's a dummy that, uh, Dr. Uh, Thomas, like, stabs in the in when it's like one of the interior decorators the white one oh yeah 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 yeah. Um, it was very like (laughs) yeah it it was very like snl sketch (laughs) type of thing yeah but um yeah no obviously with like effects yeah there are plenty of those uh, the end was kind of cool though with all the maggots or the worms and stuff crawling out of it yeah uh, and again, that's very sacrificial. You know, you have that kind of thing with it when they kill Tina, the vamp. You know, when she's as a vampire, and then he's like, "You fuck it, like I'm not going to fight you anymore. You took my love from me again." You know, and so he instead of like rampaging or killing everybody, he just decides to sacrifice himself. I thought, uh, which that was an which reminded one. me a lot of the fly. Like I was very. Yeah. <laughs> I was very affected by that in the way that you were affected by the fly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also thought about, I wondered if true blood was inspired by that with the death of Godric, if that was something that mm-hmm. Blackula was kind of informing that to some degree, um, you know, when he goes up to the roof and, you know, allows the sun oh. away. I also uh, thought about that too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think just to, to wrap up, uh, cause I like, I like this conclusion a lot. So uh, William Crane's Blackula presents vampirism as an extended metaphor for slavery and shows how the tearing away of the black man's identity through slavery has forced him to objectify black women in an attempt to regain his masculinity and power. Uh, Mamawalde as a monster complicates a conclusive interpretation of him as simply a hero fighting a white patriarchal society. He is a compilation of different fusions and uh, polar opposite identities, grappling with sets of two-ness and double consciousness. Blackula uses Mamawalde's characterization to portray the plight of the African-American man who must function in a racist society that has fundamentally stripped him of his identity and left him powerless. Um, So, again, I... um, I, I regret not seeing this film sooner. Um, there's uh, a lot more uh, that, uh, you know, which is so interesting because I think of like the way I was exposed to like Japanese horror and like Asian horror mm-hmm. made outside of, you know, this country and, and loving that and appreciating the cultural values there. So to, so to kind of have been, um, you know, to have ignored or had been purposefully like told, like you know, uh, a film like Blackula wasn't really something I should watch. Um, I think it is a disservice uh, to horror fandom. So, if you've not seen Blackula, hopefully you watched it before you listened to this, dear dear listener. Uh, but it's actually got a very, uh, it's very exciting, and I think that um, you know we talk about Get Out and we talk about like social justice horror and you know these conversations that we're seeing now happening, like that's kind of a bit of a fallacy, you know, that, that hidden within these, um, um, you know, on the, on, on the bare like face of it, kind of a, a cheap, you know, horror knockoff that it would be, you know, uh, characterized as are these really deep conversations about culture and society and, you know, what we do, what we love most about, uh, doing fright school and, um, you know, what, what, what we live for with horror is, is in these really, uh, kind of exciting films. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All righty. Well, um, uh, I think that about wraps it up for now. We will uh, be back. We're going to be continuing this all month long with some other very, uh, exciting 
films uh, in the black horror genre. So, Joe. Joshua. I hope that you sleep well, and we will uh, talk again real soon. Yes. Can I tell you something, Joshua? Yes. You are one strange dude. (laughs) I need a t-shirt. That actually would be a good one. Anyways, all right. Thank you. Yes, I know. (laughs) Good night. Good night. Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davey Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. listening to the Geekscape Network.